0: Welcome back to the Line Life podcast produced by Transmission and Distribution World and Utility Products. We're bringing you stories of the grit, courage, and inspirational teamwork that it takes to be a line worker. My name is Amy Fishbach, and I'm the field editor for TD World. For our January 2022 episode, we're focusing on safety in the line trade. I'm talking with Lee Shelby, a motivational safety speaker in Tennessee, about his life changing electrical contact incident and journey to where he is today. Good morning, Lee. Thank you for joining us today. We are honored to have you as part of our January Line Life podcast on safety in the line trade. To begin, please share your story of how you got interested in becoming a lineman in Tennessee. What inspired you to join the line trade?
1: Well, whenever I was a very young uh, child, my best friend's father was a lineman at the same company, the municipal utility that I was employed at when I was injured. And I just liked watching him and the guys that he worked with, his crews. I liked watching what they did. And it was always really uh, thrilling to me to be think about being that far up off the ground, just standing on a couple of inches of steel holding me up, just a just a couple of little spikes holding into the, the pole. I thought it was just a really cool job, so I wanted to do it. And that's how I got into it.
0: Wonderful. And next, I'd like to talk about safety in the line trade, which I know is something you are very passionate about. Can you please share your personal injury story with our listeners and take us back to that day in 1991 when you were at 28 years old and had an electrical contact accident?
1: Yeah, whenever I was uh, working at MLGNW for the utility, I was a lineman, uh, 28 years old. And I was injured one day when we were doing a service change out. Our job that day was a, I worked on a six man line crew. And our job that day was to change out a service and set a lift pole in this lady's backyard. Doing that, um, we had got the lift pole set and I was on, I had was in my bucket and I was set up on a, uh, hole at a circuit on 23 kv circuit running on north and south and my job was to cut down an open wire secondary going to open wire service going to her house and i decided that i was going to use a pair of bolt cutters that day so whenever i got up in the truck that morning um jumped up in the bucket got ready to go to work the uh grunt came across the yard and Started setting up my bucket truck for me and getting everything ready to go. And whenever he did, he asked me what I wanted to work with. And I said, give me a pair of bolt cutters. And he did. He gave me a pair of uh, three-foot red metal handle bolt cutters. Now, this is not because he did anything wrong. This was just what I asked for. And we didn't have any hydraulic tools on our trucks at the time. Our trucks weren't even outfitted with hydraulic equipment, um, with fittings. So we just had big manual cutters and crimpers. And I just wanted a pair of bolt cutters to cut everything with so he did he reached in the tool bin handed them to me threw them up to me and i put them in my tool pouch but at that time whenever i got out of the truck i had my leather gloves in my back pocket they were it was you know we always carried around we all everybody had leather gloves we just used them on the ground to make a material working on the dock whatever on the ground but i carried mine in my back pocket so that's what i had so when i got up in the air i had my leather gloves on and i went to start work cutting down this service so an open wire was a bottom hot leg the bottom hot leg is if you know it's vertically attached to the pole so the bottom is hot leg is a hot the bottom conductor is a hot leg middle conductor is a hot leg top is a neutral and when you look at the sketch that we were working off of that day, there was a 24-inch gap from the neutral, which was the top of the rack, to the primary conductor. We had a single-phase tap running back to the, toward the road, the same direction the uh, service was. Single-phase tap was uh, running off a 23 kV circuit, so I put it at about 13,200 volts. And whenever I went to and in doing this, I just had a, like I said, I had on a pair of leather gloves and and I'll get back to that time why I did that. But whenever I got in there, I cut down the, the bottom hot leg, just opened up the, the bolt cutters, spread them apart. And I stuck it on the bottom conductor and clipped it, let it hit the ground, just opened them back up, stuck it on the middle conductor, clipped it, let it hit the ground. And I opened it back up. And whenever I went to the neutral to clip the neutral, uh, I didn't, I, I was, my hands were far enough above my head. That 24 inch gap closed in real quick. And as soon as I went to contact the neutral, the back of my right hand went into that overhead tap, that single face tap that was running across the top of my hard hat so at that point i made i went phased ground on that 23 kv circuit which like i said was about thirteen thousand two hundred volts they went into the right hand into the bolt cutters and up the left handle of the bolt cutters traveled up my left arm and my exit wound was under my left armpit so as you know every everybody knows that electricity if it goes in it's got to come back out it's not going to stay it's going to come out somewhere And that's where it came out was under my left armpit, which meant it didn't do the normal um, of what we all know it can do, which is to go straight down through your lower extremities, maybe a foot, a leg, whatever. It didn't do that, which meant all of my core was still is still intact and no heart, liver, lungs, kidneys, no internal issues in my core because it never went through it. So I was very fortunate for that that it just came straight back out. But, you know, and in, in, whenever I do these presentations, I travel all over and do these. I still travel a lot, even though with, we're in the situation we're in right now. Um, my traveling's picked back up, but I do a lot of virtual and traveling. But I always, when I go through this with people, I always remind them, I said, you know, you have to remember the era that we were working in back then, you know, in, in the 90s. 80s and the 90s you know what was safety like it was this is some places it was non-existent some places it was very lax some places it was it was better than others but in where we were it wasn't you know it was good but you know i chose to wear my leather gloves that day and because i did I cut. Only reason I did was I had worked in them before and cut down services and secondaries, low voltage conductors in leather gloves before, and been successful successful at it. I had got popped a few times. I never got hurt. You know, I just got zapped a couple of times. Maybe I had a hole in my glove or whatever. But I'd been successful in the fact that I didn't get hurt doing it. And that's the problem. People are successful whenever they do these short, take these shortcuts, and that's what gets them. So whenever I had on my leather gloves, that's why I got burned, because I did not have on my PPE. I did not have on my primary voltage gloves, which I should have had, because our safety rule was very specific. And it was, in, if you're in reaching distance of a primary conductor, you will wear your primary voltage gloves. Well... I was in reaching distance of a primary conductor because I stuck my right hand into it. So that meant I violated the safety rules. When I did, that makes me accountable and responsible for my accident. Everything. Everything that happened. Let's see, my accident was 9:30, 9:35 a.m. Monday morning, August 12, 1991. So everything that's happened since then, and it will happen, is a result of that, and I'm accountable for all that. And that's what I try to get people to understand. It's all about personal accountability. You have to be responsible for your safety and the safety of the man and woman that beside you, working with you, working on your truck, on your crew. We're all responsible for ourselves and each other. And if we're not, something's going to happen. I'm not going to say you're going to get killed. Something's going to happen, though. I mean... I was successful at doing what I did a few times until wasn't, and that's that's just the consequence of taking a shortcut, getting complacent, getting distracted. These are the consequences. These are the, these are what you deal with after it's over with, and after it's over with, I was a both hands were amputated in the in the, in the burn unit, uh, and I'm a bilateral below elbow amputee with double prosthetic hooks for hands below the elbow.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that story. Um, and can you talk about what it was like on your rehabilitation journey at the rodeo safety conference? You said that you spent 23 days in the burn unit, seven months in rehab and 10 months and 23 days away from work. Can you talk a little bit about that? And
1: yeah. Um, 23 days in a burn unit in 1991. Um, I always ask people if they've ever, whenever I do these talks, I said, "Have you ever been into a burn unit?" Majority of people never have. Uh, people, people in our industry, you'll find more so that can say, "Yes, I have visited one, someone, or maybe I have been in one for a short period of time." But if you've ever been in one, you'll know that they're they're very much a a different place in a hospital. Uh, Hospitals are great. Burn units are have fantastic nurses and doctors that work in them. There, I have no idea how they do their job, but they do, uh, which which is very hard. I'm sure on them. That's why they rotate out a lot. But uh, 23 days was what my extent of my burn unit stay was, and I never got outsourced to another room. I stayed in that uh, burn unit the entire time. So in there was um being in there with people that were burned up i mean literally burned 60 70 80 percent total body burns and that's a lot because to hear what they have to go through in a burn unit to get debrided and get better now it's a lot different because of the equipment and the technology we have but back then it was a horrible place to be um but seven months after that i went straight to therapy uh so the day they I signed my papers or they signed my papers and let me go i went straight across the street to my occupational therapist uh we started that day so uh, that was uh, seven months it was five days a week seven hours eight hours a day just like going to work it was in my job my new job it was just learning how to be independent learning how to use my prosthetics i had probably about six weeks before I got them after I got out of the hospital. So there was a long period of time without anything. Uh, uh, My arms were amputated almost precisely between my elbow and my wrist or where both of them are, and they're both identically cut in the same place. Um, But there was a long period of time without prosthetics. And after I got them, it was just teaching me how to be independent. I had to learn to go back to doing all the things that I'd ever done before. The basic things, okay, like cooking and feed, eating, and uh, just uh, bathroom skills. I mean, just think of basic things that you would teach a child writing. Uh, that, that's what I had to relearn. And then I had to relearn all the hobbies. And from that point on, after seven months of therapy, was just. They did, you know, she did everything she could teach me. And then it, from that point, it was just you learn on your own as things come to you during your life, kind of just like we do now. But that's how I learn now. So it's still a learning process. I'm always going to pick up something I haven't ever done before and deal with it. So uh, I'm always learning, but. After uh, therapy, I had I was 10 months and 23 days off work, so that gave me around a little over three months of nothing to do but sit at home <laughs> uh, and not be occupied with a, with therapy or a job. So I uh, finally got to go back to work and when you think about the time frame of 10 months and 23 days, you know that's a that is a long time, but in the big scheme of it, that's a very short period of time for us to go back to work when you've lost both hands Mm -hmm. that's you you go through uh losing both of your having both of your hands amputated and going through therapy and all the stuff that goes with it that and you could go back to work in under a year and have the desire to go back to work in under the year it's uh it's not really what hurt it's kind of unheard of you don't really see people that get that opportunity to do that but i did and when i went back to work i uh became an inspector over the, uh, contractors and contracts, uh, different contracts. We had electrical contracts. We had there at the company until I retired.
0: Wonderful. And can you talk about the impact of the accident on your family? Um, I know during your presentation at the rodeo safety conference, you said, you know, just imagine what it's like not being able to touch your wife's face or hold your child's hand. I mean, what would right. you miss the most about, um, not having your hands and having prosthetic limbs.
1: Well, you know, I have people ask me that all the time. What do you miss the most? And people really kind of expect me to say, well, I, but I can't do some physical task, whatever that would be. Um, but the thing, that, the thing probably that you, you would miss the most if you were ever in this situation would be the, the ability to feel and touch because we take that for granted so much. Um, the, the manipulation of your hands and how you use them to pick up things and to uh, do activities with that you can't do anymore if you don't have them um, is just kind of it's kind of overwhelming so the the ability not to touch another person with your hand because your hands have receptors in them that no other part of the body has it has the ability to, to feel in a different way way, in different capacity than if you were to rub your leg or your arm across something. Your hand, those receptors allow you to feel differently. That's one of your five senses, a sense of touch. And that's why it's there, because of those hands. So whenever, uh, whenever you think about your greatest loss, it would be the fact that I cannot touch or feel something, anything. If I go to pick up something, I have to see it. I can't just reach behind me like you can or anyone else could and feel for something and find what I'm looking for in a door in the dark, find something or in your bottom of your bag, find something because you're feeling for it. And there it is. No, I have to physically put my eyes on it to grab it before I can see it before I can grab it. And then I have to be careful when I grab it. Cause if I grab it the wrong way, I'm going to break it with these things. So that's that's my greatest loss is my sense of touch and feel.
0: And what would you say to other linemen who had an accident or near miss in line trade? What kind of helped you kind of navigate your healing process and um kind of get to the point where you are today?
1: Well, those are those are two entirely different, two entirely different questions. Now, what I would say to some anyone in the line trade would be. Always, always, always pay attention. Keep your head on straight. If you're not completely fully engaged in your job at that moment, don't, don't even get in the air. Um, known a, known a lot of, a lot of foremen and uh superintendents and things of that nature who would not let their guys even get off the ground. If they had a, any idea that they were not engaged in or they had something going on, uh, some life thing that had going on in their life at that time. no, they'd stay on the ground, somebody else take your place. I granted a lot of times the way we've, the way we have cut our crews down over the, the decades in the, in the, in the years we were, were down to fewer men on fewer trucks. And so sometimes they're not always someone to take your place, but if there is, uh, you know, definitely get someone if you're not engaged to help you out but if you don't understand if you and i tell people these guys all the time especially apprentices if you don't understand something open your mouth that's your job your job is to go home at the end of the day your job is to make sure that the electricity flows and you get the lights back on and you get your job done but your other job is to go home at the end of the day and see your family that's your job and if you can't do your job then this is not the the occupation for you because you still have to support and take care of your family, but you have to make sure that you can you're engaged in your uh, occupation as well. Pay attention, don't get distracted, don't take a shortcut because a shortcut is not going to pay off. You're going to save time. How much time are you going to save? Five, 10, 15 minutes? You're not going to save hours. No one's going to save hours and days. And it's just it, shortcuts are not worth the effort and the time you put forth to take them. It's easier to do the right thing. Follow a rule, follow a procedure, take, make sure the process is still going, and, and go from there. So always wear your PPE. I mean, always wear it's It's, it's there for a reason. Okay, your your gloves, your sleeves, your line hoses, your, your snakes, your blankets, they're all there for a reason. They're all there to be used by you for a specific purpose. That purpose is to protect you and save your life, to stop you from making an accidental electrical contact to a conductor through any part of your body uh, because you're in proximity of those conductors all the time. So... Your PPE is your is your line of defense and it is your you just can't stress the importance of wearing your rubber gloves and sleeves. Yeah, they're hot. They're bundlesome. They're hot. They they get in the way, but they're there to protect and save your life. Do not discount that at all. Take take the opportunity to use them all the time.
0: And you are now an author of two books and have delivered your safety messages to audiences nationwide. And how do you drive home the importance of safety in the personal protective equipment?
1: Well, very simply, I always give them this one assignment like you had mentioned earlier. Um, I walk them through this entire scenario of how this accident happened. What I did, I want them to understand that it's, you know, during it, it's about personal accountability. But to drive it home at the end, I'll always make sure that they know what they have to lose. And that is in my instance, it was my hands. And, and these are the things that we take for granted the most. We take our hands for granted because we don't protect them like we should. And without them, there is a there's a million jobs that we cannot do because you can't manipulate certain things with fingers and hands and if you don't have them, so protect your hands. And, all, and like I said, this is the assignment that I give people. Imagine going home every day at the end of your day, at the end of your shift, whenever you get off work, and not being able to put your hand on your wife's face, your husband's face, your child's face, or hold their hand. Just. Put your arm around them, feel them, touch them, whatever that is for you. Imagine not being able to do it because you do not have the hands to do it with. And people really, they sit there and they try to wrap their head around it while I'm telling them this. And I give them time. I give them a few minutes to think while I'm talking through this. I'm I'm showing pictures and and trying to drive this into their mind, but it really doesn't hit them until they ever get home because I've had too many people tell me, email me, text message me, however they can get the message to me that they did what I told them to do. And they understood exactly what I was saying after they did it, when they got home. And it works. It works every time people do it. If they will take take the time to do it and think, it'll hit them like a brick wall, whenever they do it.
0: And what do you think will need to happen to improve safety and reduce accidents in today's line trade?
1: That will come from people deciding, making a decision that they want to go home every day. Now there's a multitude of things that need to, that can go into that. Uh, You can, you can look at people and think, well, you know, Managers and, and I want that managers, but you know, higher ups need to be engaged more and be have build better relationships with their employees and let them know that they care about them. And it's not just about doing their job, it's about we care about I care about you and I, you know, I care about your family. You, you build a relationship. The way you make the biggest impact on anyone is to build a relationship with them. And I don't mean like a fuzzy, a huggy-feely relationship, but a relationship is you know them, you know their family, you know their kids' name, you know the wife's name, you know the husband's name, you know who they go home to And you tell them, I do not want to go and tell call your your whoever and tell them that you are going to be at the hospital, that they got to come down there. You know, so you have they have to they have to wanna to make safety their own personal value themselves for a reason. They have to want it to be theirs because they want it. They want to go home every night. They don't want to end up in the emergency room. They don't want to end up in the morgue. They have to want. To, they have to want this. And even though people, want, even though we want it in this trade, we still make mistakes, and we still get distracted. We still get complacent with things. I've just I've known guys that were the safest people in the world, and they just made a mental mistake and got burned up. You know, it just always be looking out for each other, never anybody in there without somebody watching, somebody looking, always have somebody with you. Anyway, way, any and everything that we can think of, and it's really common sense. This isn't a this isn't a, a scheme that has to be cooked up in by some very professional and and highly skilled individuals. This is just us using our common sense. We will look out for each other. We take care of each other. We want to make sure our friend, even if we don't like them, we still want to make sure they go home at the end of the day. You You don't have to like them. You don't have to love them. You don't have to care about them. You still don't want to be there in the emergency room with them. You don't want to see them dead. You don't want to see them hurt. So it's about making safety a personal value to them. How we do that, a million ways to do that there's a there's there's so many ways to do that and it would it's just a lot of it is common sense
0: thank you so much lee for sharing your story today and is there anything else that you would like to say to linemen out there about um your personal story about ways that they can stay safe in the field
1: nothing other than always 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 pay attention. Never take anything for granted. Never take for granted someone's word that, well, this has happened or this is dead or this is there's kind of an old saying. If it's not grounded, it's not dead. Uh, Never take anybody's word for anything. Always make sure that you check and recheck things before you start working on anything that's energized. Make sure that you keep up with the people that are around you and keep an eye on them and watch them and help them and teach them and learn from them and learn, teach them what you know, word of your time, your good of your efforts, your knowledge, share it. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to let someone tell you what to do that. We're not still working back in the seventies and the eighties. We're working in a whole new era of time. Whenever the more people we can get to help us with information, the better off we are. And I've told this to groups for years. These apprentices and new hires come in, they come into the, to the trade. They You have no idea where they came from in their job, in their job, previous jobs before they may not have ever had a job, but if they asked a question and they want to know something, And they're asking you why this is done this way and why this is that way. There's a reason because they need to understand that. And if you don't, if you just blow them off and dismiss them and tell them, it's because I told you so you're not That's a very big injustice you're doing to yourself and to them because they may have a different perspective. They may see something that you've looked at for so long that you just are not even seeing anymore. And they may cause you to think, say, Oh man, I see that now. I didn't, even, I didn't even recognize that being there, you know, that, that, that hazard, that whatever it was, it was there. So always, always utilize everyone that's around you, seasoned veterans, young guys coming in, many women coming in, whoever it is, always, always listen and participate.
0: Thank you so much, Lee, and we appreciate everything you're doing for the industry in terms of spreading the safety awareness. And um, this is Amy Fishbach signing off for t World. This episode of the Lion Life podcast was written and recorded by Amy Fishbach. It was produced by Daniel Blanchett. Please follow the show to be updated when new episodes are released and leave a review for us on the Apple podcast. Head to the show description to see where you can find us on social media. Thank you again for listening to the Line Life Podcast.